this thing on? Ah, this is great. All right. Well, hello and welcome, my babies, to Detalk with David Day. I'm your host, David Day, and I'm so happy that you are here because I want to talk about stuff and things. Detalk is our safe space to get creative, be critical, and embrace our cringe. And this is the inaugural episode of Detalk. I'm so happy that you're here. There's potential that you might be the first set of human ears to be listening to this podcast. And uh, even if you're not, I'm so happy and grateful that you're here. This is this is, this is is a personality brand, I think, first and foremost. We're going to look at things a little bit from a neuroscience perspective sometimes. A lot of personal anecdotes that seem to come out of nowhere. You can expect that. And uh, we're going to view things sometimes through the lens of creativity, cringe, and uh, my third C, that is being critical, because you need all three to succeed. Um, but first, let's have a message from our sponsor. And you know what, doll? I'm the sponsor here. I'm doing all this other stuff. And uh, if you could go ahead and click all the buttons for me, that'd be great. I don't know, the subscribe, the notification, the follow, the like, the comment. I don't know, send it to somebody that you know. They don't even need to open it, right? I have lists of TikToks in my phones that I'm not opening. If you could do that, help a girl out. We're doing all this other stuff. Now let's get back to me. Ah. Okay, we are back on the inaugural episode of Detalk with David Day. Hello and welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, so this episode, as you may or may not have noticed, is titled, Who Even Are You? So this is a great opportunity for me to introduce myself to all of you, the listeners, because you may be wondering, who even is, who even is them? Who even is? So... My name is David Day. I am currently recording this podcast on a very overcast, sleety day in Calgary, Alberta. Um, looking out at the cityscape right now. I did go out for brunch this morning and it was very cold, but it was worth it. So uh, we'll start with my name. So my name is David Day and the reason that my last name is they is because ultimately it does pay to advertise and my pronouns are they them. I am a non-binary individual and uh, I use they them pronouns. Pretty simple. Um, it did take me, it took me a really long time. I'm 27 right now and I've only been comfortably going as they them for, I don't know, just over a year now and uh, I'm getting better at at advocating for myself in those moments where people do he, him, me, or sir, me a lot. Um, but it is hard ultimately to advocate for yourself. And sometimes you're not always comfortable asking people for what you need. Um, but I'm getting better at that. So yeah, my name's David. My pronouns are they, them. I live in Calgary. I did just move here. So a really big, a really big thing for me. There's a lot of big things for me. I have recently changed my life. In, in so many ways. I don't know if there's really anything that has stayed the same over the last few years for me. So like I said, I'm 27 years old, but I do really like to think of that in terms of, I didn't have autonomy, really complete autonomy over my life until age 18, right? As most of us do. And uh, I didn't move out until I was 23. I did, so when I graduated high school, I immediately went into university and I got a Bachelor of Dramatic Arts, as no one's surprised, that shocks no one, and, uh, and an ed degree. So then five years of university I spent there in Lethbridge. Mm. 
it was a great it was a great town to go to school in. It really was. Um, and then I I dove headfirst into teaching as soon as the coronavirus started. So I started teaching in the fall of 2019, and things were normal until April. What was it? April 13th, April Friday the 13th. 2020 is when schools were shut down and those things were starting to happen. So then I was teaching online for about a year and then the year after went back and was normal. And then the year after that went back, it was normal. So I spent four years of being a teacher and uh, I, I did all the things that uh, on paper look like, look, <laughs> I did all the, okay, let me tell you what I did. So I got a permanent job. I got my permanent certification. I, I bought a house, I developed the backyard, you know, I painted the fence, we put up a pool and a hot tub. Like I had what so many people would love and, and, and would sacrifice a lot for at the age of 25. And uh, when, you're, when you're growing up, the narrative is kind of to, to do all of those things, right? You, after high school, you pursue something else and pursue training or education and get a job and I don't know have security in that job and buy a house and get married and have kids and all of those things that are prescribed for you I was doing all of those things and I kind of looked around at my life at age 25 and went oh this actually isn't what I wanted and you know in the back of my mind I knew what I wanted but it wasn't at the forefront because I was just focused on doing the societally prescribed things for me. And I did all of that. And I got there by age 25, which comes with an incredible amount of privilege as well. I do lead a very privileged life. And uh, that's a part of me bringing this podcast to you is because I want to, I want to share that. And I want to share my story and, and how I did things and share my perspective because I know they're going to help people, at least some. And hey, maybe you're just here for the gags. But as most of my friends are like, we're here for that personal growth journey. I'm so interested in learning about the way that my brain works, about the way that I behave and why and my internal biases and biases and all of those things. I'm very interested in that. And those really go hand in hand with my three C's, creativity, cringe, and being a critical thinker. I always forget that one. Um, so yeah, that's what we're here to do on the pod. So once I realized that my life wasn't heading in the direction that I wanted it to, and slowly in the background as I was still finishing up um, the school year as a teacher, I started participating more in drag. And I had, I, I really did want to move to Calgary. I wanted to move to Calgary to pursue drag and performance. But ultimately, before I made that decision, I thought, I need to go do it. I need to go try it. I need to find some gig that I can go shake my tail feathers on stage and just feel how it feels to be that drag performer. And then I can judge it from there. So I had a lot of like plans in my mind, but nothing was solidified um, in terms of moving. But I did find a gig and it was at Cowboys here in Calgary, which now looking back at that is that was a bold first gig for me to roll up in the Cowboys casino in full drag because mama didn't know I had I had my breasts on and well I drove there like it, in retrospect I should have brought it in the suitcase and changed upstairs like everybody else but that's whatever she didn't know that's why I needed that first gig that's why you need everything is to do it kind of like poorly and then learn and then go back and do it again it's kind of the whole point of 
being alive. Anyway, so uh, I had my Giga Cowboys. It was a competition. Um, I mean, that doesn't matter. It was, it did have extra stakes though. I felt the stakes were very, like for any competition, I guess the stakes are high because people want to win. And uh, I just remember being so invested in just my experience and how I felt and how the audience was reacting to me. And it just, that, that night meant so much to me. And it did give me the comfort and the confidence to go, you know what, that's what I'm going to go do. And I think the most shocking part is that it didn't feel that much different than my experience in drama before, right? Like most drag queens and especially the ones that have longevity, those queens are the most diversely talented. Like you have to be a makeup artist. You have to be some kind of like a wig a hairstylist. There it is. You have to be able to come up with costumes. Even if you're not sewing, you're still like curating these looks. So you have to be able to walk and women's shoes or being able to walk in heels and maybe you're a dancer maybe you're a singer are you a theater queen like there there are so you're an actor as well oh that's a theater queen your your talent has to be so diversified and i have a lot of those talents i'm a singer i'm a piano player i'm an actor i love to dance <laughs> you'll notice the wording there but i am i'm gonna i'm gonna do dance classes we're gonna get it to i can't i'm very nervous but um so excited because I'm going to waltz in there and just like have a campal time. And it does not matter how good my dancing looks. It matters how I feel and the community that I build and the growth I can have over time. I say that now, but I'm not going to be feeling that the morning of the first dance class. But that's the another thing, too, here is I don't want you to think that you're like listening to me. And if you're taking advice, you're taking it from someone who has everything together. <laughs> because like, I don't know, I am I do carry a lot of inspiration um, I've been told and it just don't, don't take it that I, that I've got it all figured out because I'm just like ever, I'm literally just some girl sitting in her apartment talking into a microphone right now and, uh, you're listening and I love that for you. Okay. So, um, I am like other, no, my favorite is, uh, I'm not like other girls. I have osteoporosis or uh, I say, I'm not like other girls. I have hearing loss, which is true. Catch me in the club with loops in. Loops are, uh, I do realize that a lot of people don't know what that means, but uh, I love saying my loops in. They're just an earplug that like preserves the quality of the sound, but takes the decibel level down quite a bit. Um, and my ears are painful if things are too loud. So I got to preserve this hearing because I love to hear. Don't you? I think there's more to hearing. Uh, okay, let's take a break. Okay, so we are back on the first inaugural episode of Detalk with David Day. I'm your host, and uh, this episode is called Who Even Are You? And uh, we're just, we're finding more about me, finding out more about me, because I'm the one who's talking. <laughs> uh, you know what? I just, I wonder what you're doing right now. Yeah. You right now listening to this, like, are you driving on your way to work or like from home? Are you on a lunch break? You know, are you cleaning? Ooh, good for you if you're cleaning. Ooh, it's always good. I always love to plug in a podcast while I'm cleaning or um, making dinner. That might be fun too. Or maybe you're just sitting down and you're in a meditative state listening to the calming tone of my voice. <laughs> love that for all of you. So, um, once I decided that uh, 
my life that I had built wasn't in line with my values. I, I started to make those changes and it began, I don't really know what it began. Well, to be completely effing honest, my, uh, my basement flooded in like December of last year. It flooded, I was, I was doing the dishes, getting ready to drive from Lethbridge to Calgary and uh, my basement flooded right before I was going to leave to see the Jinx and Dela holiday special at the Jubilee in Calgary. And uh, yeah, my basement flooded and it was not water. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so my basement flooded and it was not water. And uh, that was one of the moments where I was like, I don't think I can live here anymore. I'm sorry, I don't care what anybody thinks about this specifically, but if, you're, if, you're, if your house floods with not water, I just, it's ruined. You might as well just throw the whole thing in the garbage and that might sound privileged and it was. So instead of like, I'm not gonna say instead of dealing with that, I did deal with that. I paid over a thousand dollars to have that dealt with, ridiculous, um, but glad I didn't have to do it. Oh my God, brutal. Um, but I did, that was one of the moments too where I was like, I, I no, we can't. So I met with the bank man and I met with the realtor and started putting out those feelers and, and then I was going through things in my professional career um, that were also motivating me not to stay where I was and kind of working through all of those emotions in conjunction with building a different life. And it did all start in my head because I had to, I started to conceptualize what I would do and what my day-to-day -day would look like and what I would pursue. And a, a thought I had there was a podcast. And here we are. We're really on the other side of it right now, which is so exciting oh so excited i'm also so dry i'm drinking water like crazy up here in calgary it is so dry okay um so yeah then the time came i uh i put in my notice as a teacher i put my house up for sale i sold it um and i didn't have anywhere to go because i couldn't find a condo to rent like I, I toured so many and they were so expensive and they were so small and they all had so many cons and not a lot of pros. And the ones that had a lot of pros were so expensive and completely out of my budget. Uh, so I didn't have anywhere to go for like three weeks. It was uh, that those were a tough three weeks for sure. I was just driving around Calgary trying to like tour a place that I would want to live in and it just wasn't happening for me and it was a while into that that I was just sitting in a Starbucks parking lot and I was like I think I'm gonna go back to Lethbridge like not to stay forever but I'm gonna go stay there and just book a bunch of apartments to tour here because and at that point I didn't have anything scheduled either and I was about to like turn on the car and drive back to Lethbridge in an active defeat which is what that felt like it felt like I had failed already and I hadn't even been here for like a month yet and uh somebody called me and it was the property manager for this building that I'm currently sitting in and just from the way that she talked to me in the beginning she was so kind and nobody else throughout the process touring me was nice they were all like annoyed at me it seemed even from like the messages and email and texts up to like touring the all of the places like everybody was just annoyed which is fair. I guess there's a lot of touring going on. Like I'm not in their heads and it obviously wasn't personal. Nothing's personal, but this lady was so nice. And she was like, oh, do you want to come and tour tomorrow? And I was like, yes, absolutely. I do. Let's do that. That was a Friday morning that I went and toured and I had signed the lease by Saturday night. 
And then uh, on Tuesday morning, the movers brought my stuff in and I've been living here ever since. So we got that piece done. And now I'm slowly working my way as a drag performer into Calgary as well. It's so, I just, I really, really love the queer community here in Calgary. And for the most part, everybody is just so kind. And what you notice, like when you go out into queer spaces, people are just happy. They're smiling. They're, they're excited to be there. They're having a good time. Nothing is too serious. And it's just such a beautiful outing time. But when you go to like a straight bar, or like, well, you know, the whole world seems like a straight bar. But when you go to a place that isn't predominantly composed of queer people, it's just people don't necessarily look as happy, I've noticed. And I just, there are so many amazing performers in Calgary. I had heard queens from here before say that the Calgary scene is one of the best in Canada. And I didn't know. Like, I'd heard them, but I, I didn't really have anything to back that up because I wasn't that experienced either throughout Canada and within Calgary. But... I haven't even seen all of them yet. There's just so many drag performers and I love meeting new ones. I love watching what they do because everybody is just so different and unique and the amount of, of confidence and vulnerability it takes to bring your art to the stage is just such an incredible feat. And so many people do that here and it makes me so happy. It builds me up. I just, uh, I love watching drag performances I don't, even, I don't care what it is i like even if the performer's like i haven't choreographed this and uh my wig's not ready for this like, i'll watch it i'll watch it you got a track playing i'll i'll watch i'll watch anything i really will i love <laughs> i love drag i love it so much and i love participating in it so that's why i do uh so yeah that's like that's me babe there are a few other working parts to me as well so I am currently a grad student. I am pursuing a master's of education with a specialization in neuroscience. So I've been, I've taken one at this point, a full neuroscience class, behavioral neural, behavioral neuroscience, I believe it was called. Exceedingly complicated, moved at such a rapid rate and uh, I do still have a lot of studying left to do even though that course is over it's just so fascinating and I became very interested in our brains and in neuroscience when COVID started and I guess maybe more when we moved to kind of that post-COVID but it's not even yet post-COVID it was maybe like the end of 2020 so the end of 2020 was a really hard time for me because I I lost some I lost two of the most important relationships to me at the time and it did feel like I went through two breakups simultaneously over two people that I really cared about and uh, suddenly from being constantly with people to go to being completely on your own I lived alone in a four-bedroom house and it just it really pushed me inward and I had no choice and no option but to really dive into my ways of thinking and how my life was and all of the ways that I wasn't satisfied with it, it made me focus on myself. And while that time was pretty brutal for me for, oh, I mean, I guess at this point it was three years ago. I really don't remember how long and the severity was, but I don't know. 
Like it, I felt pretty hopeless for a couple of months at least. And uh, I, I had, I had pretty poor eating habits too. I, I would hit up three drive-throughs in a day and just, you know, it, kind of chasing that sugar high in the same way I was a heavy smoker of cigarettes and cannabis. And everything was just kind of culminating for me. And then I was going like pre-diabetic as well. I was like 320 pounds. I wasn't moving my body. I was sore all of the time. My mood was never good. And it just, I just looked around and I was like, there's nobody else here to distract me from this anymore. Because I think a big part of of how I felt comfortable and how I was able to disassociate from those bad habits is because the people that I spent my most time with were like that as well. And we were all just helping each other in this weird circle of ignoring the things that we needed to pay attention to. And COVID was a big part of that because it was it was such an easy excuse. The world is ending. I'm gonna eat this whole box of donuts. God, my worst habit from COVID is I would have what I called my bedtime cereal. And you may be picturing me like <laughs> at the counter pouring some cereal and then milk in a bowl and then the spoon and then walking that to the couch. No, that's not what I did, girl. I would take the spoon and the bowl and the milk and the cereal box and bring all of that to the couch. You know why? So I could refill. Mm -hmm. I could have like three bowls of cereal. The way that I could crush like three bowls of cereal in under five minutes is so good. It's so good. I could, he I can hear the crackling of the Rice Krispies right now. Love it. And why? Because it's filled with sugar. That's why I wanted that. But I would just, and I probably wasn't brushing my teeth at that time either. And then you just directly go to bed. And that was my habit. That was my habit. I was like an extra thousand calories right before I go to bed every night, at least. So it was habits like that. And like, if you have one of those habits, like maybe if I had nighttime cereal now and I was more cognizant of everything else I ate, that wouldn't have been so bad. I just wasn't. Every point of, of food consumption during my day was just, my portion control was out of control and it just, it was perpetuating. I just wasn't happy. Right, I wasn't happy not only with the way that I looked, but the way that I felt. And I was consuming, I don't know, five to 6,000 calories a day. I had to have been. I was maintaining a really high body weight. Um, and I wasn't happy with how I looked and how I felt. And I was for a while because when you grow up fat, sorry, just got to say it. I, there's just, there. I, I get a... <laughs> I don't know, like I get along with with fat people, maybe in the same way that like I get along with queer people because there is like a mutual understanding that you've been through the same thing. And I do think that the world is quite hard on fat people. And if you have an addiction to sugar or if you have an addiction to food, like I am working on both of those, you don't hurt. If you... <laughs> If you have that addiction, it's harder for you to hide that from the world because the way that you show up is affected by that. So I could be a smoker and depending on the timeline of my smoking, you might not know based off of how I appear, right? If I had a shopping addiction, that might not come across in how I appear. But because if you are addicted to food and or to sugar, that affects the way that you show up in the world. So there is a lot of, I think, discrimination that happens 
to overweight people that isn't warranted because I was treated very poorly across my childhood and early into my adult years because I was so overweight. And a way that I was able to not overcome that, but kind of push that to the side, but it was also pushing aside my realization of how poor my habits were for my body um, was kind of consuming some fat acceptance content. I, I was into that and just loving your body the way that it is and uh, not trying to change. And uh, it's everybody, it's everybody else's problem. Like they have to be kinder to me and it's their fault. And while I don't advocate for the discrimination of fat people and, and being judged based off of that, it is also equally dangerous to support people with habits that are self-destructive. My bedtime cereal was self-destructive in the same way that smoking is, right? So while I fully agree that everybody should be happy with their body the way that it is right now, if there are things that bother you, they're not going away until you change them. So if your body doesn't bother you, go for it, girl, you're good. But if it is something, and most often the people that are loudest about how happy they are with something are the ones who are not, in my experience, I've been really loud about confidence, and it's usually when I'm lacking confidence in that specific area that I feel like that's just how most people are. I, I really just dove right in, and uh, I was lucky at the time to have a friend who had a lot of experience uh, in the gym and had a kinesiology degree, and she got me right together. She did. She was a teacher. I don't know. Am I going to give shout-outs? Uh, it was great. Um, but Nicole... You know, Nicole got me right together. She took me through the gym. She showed me how to do things and she went with me. So that built my confidence in the gym setting as well. For an overweight person and a queer person specifically, gyms can be very overwhelming because there can be a lot of bad associated memories in a gym setting, which I had. Gym changing rooms, my God, the ceiling tiles would be coming down. Those boys in there were just ridiculous. And I'm already not comfortable with changing in front of them. And now they're like hurling the toilet seat around the room and I'm supposed to take my pants off or my gym shorts off and put my pants on. No thanks. Anyway, gym clothing, middle school, rough. So gyms can be stressful, but she got me right together and helped me build my confidence. And I've consistently stayed in the gym since then. It's been like two and a half years of me regularly going. I, I've done a lot of cardio in the past before I started in the gym, but I really took a lot of that out and just started focus on, focusing on weightlifting and building muscle. And that has been a huge help to me um, in conjunction with eating habits that work for me. Um, since I started, which I think is pretty close to exactly three years ago, it all started, um, well, my, my weight loss journey started for me mentally when I went to an induction dinner and I was being inducted and uh, there was a lot of attention and a lot of cameras and a lot of pictures that came out of me the next day. And I remember looking at my body in those pictures and going, who is that? That can't be me. That cannot be how I show up in the world. And I was just shocked. It was right after COVID, um, right after the restrictions lifted. And I just, that moment really gave me a lot of confidence to go, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to do it for me. So since that time, I've lost over a hundred pounds. 
over 100 pounds. I'm like, I'm currently rounding like 120 down. Um, and there's been a little bit of fluctuation in the last little bit, but it's just, I've been able to maintain my eating habits. And even when I really like go off, you know, and overdo it, it's not even close to what I was doing on a regular basis back in COVID. So I'm very happy with that. And my whole life has changed with that as well in conjunction with moving and changing literally everything about me and embracing my cringe and creativity and my critical thinking. I always forget the critical thinking. Um, it really... Oh, and while all of this is happening, I was getting more into neuroscience. So it all started with an American neuropsychologist named Dr. Daniel Amen. And I watched him on an episode of Dr. Phil, which I loved at the time. He's a little problematic. Anyway, um, watching Dr. Phil and listening to this guy talk in the first book that uh, I read from Daniel Amen was Your Brain is Always Listening. And just how your internal monologue actually makes a difference on your brain and the way that it structures itself and the way that it functions. And those were things that I, I knew there was truth to, but I didn't have a lot of details and, and confidence behind the ways that that actually worked. And through his books, I started to learn more and more about that. And I was able to use them in myself and I was seeing results and I was really impressed. So I'm reading more books by Daniel Amen. There's a, a brain warrior the Brain Warrior's Guide, The Brain Warrior's Manual or something like that. And he just broke down all of the habits that you can have as a human being to help your brain. And just to start to conceptualize your brain as your most important organ. It really is. Like, there are so many parts of our body that we focus on keeping healthy through whatever way. Like, through movement to build muscle mass or... I. I don't know, like, I feel like we focus on the heart and the lungs. And yes, all of these things are important. However, none of them work if the brain doesn't. Like, your brain is truly number one. Um, and, and being able to really focus on my personal brain health became really important to me. And I was able to model some of those ideas for the, the students that I was teaching at the time. And they would see results, even through some simple, like, paradigm shifts of the way that you think. And it just... It just kept blowing up from there. And that's one of my three C's, like the cringe, being able to cringe and let it go and, and not letting your cringe impede the things that you want to do in your life and paying attention to what you cringe at, because most often what you cringe at is pointing to something a lot deeper. And I think it's worth exploring because it's not always attached to jealousy, but the, there's... There's something really meaningful behind the reason when you cringe at something. So I invite you to get curious. Second C. No, curious. That's not a C. Four Cs? Anyway. Yeah. So after I really got into Daniel Amen and neuroscience and branching out a little bit, not too much, I, Daniel Amen has so many books and I was really interested in him. And all the while, there was uh, a grad program that I was really watching because I was interested in it since I graduated with my undergrad. And it only ran every three years and it was running the year that I graduated from my undergrad. So I was like, okay, so in three years, I might be able to do this again. So I went out, I got all the teaching experience I needed in order to do that. And uh, it kind of was silently my master plan for many years. It was what was keeping me motivated to keep going because I didn't want to teach forever. I don't want to teach forever. I don't want to be in a classroom forever. Do I love teaching? Yeah, so much. Was I good at it? Very 
I was very good at it. I am very good at it. I enjoy doing it. I find meaning in it. I'm good at it. It's not worth the toll that it takes on your mind and body. The amount of pressure that teachers have on them isn't really like many other professions. You are required to be professional and most people are when they're at work. However, when teachers leave, they also need to maintain professionality no matter where they go or what they do in their life. Which I don't know if I have a problem with, but there there is something worth looking at in that why are teachers being held to that professional level throughout all moments of their life when essentially the rest of the world aside from priests not even we're not going to go into that nobody else is held to that same standard like if there's a doctor and that doctor is out i don't know drinking with their friends and acting a little obscene and causing a small scene like i'm not talking about like illegal things like just being out and being yourself and being loud if that's you and just enjoying yourself that can be seen as unprofessional if you are seen by anybody who knows you in a professional context. And I, teachers need to be people. And people are out here on these streets just exploring and being themselves. Like, the, the standard just, it doesn't match for me. And that was a big problem for me because a huge part of the way that I present in the world is through queerness. And I love to do drag and perform and sing and, and go out and do things that can be seen as unprofessional. But the problem is the gray area. Me dressing up in a wig and putting on a breastplate is seen, by, as, is seen as unprofessional by many people. But if somebody else or if I was out in like a cosplay or something that matched my perceived gender identity, that would be more okay. Why is queerness seen as unprofessional? I think that's the problem that I had specifically there. And I know that a percent of me feeling that, I'm not sure how much, but a part of me feeling that is me projecting that on because I've had a lot of experiences where queerness is seen as unprofessional. And although it might be just the loud majority of people that is giving me that feedback, but they are loud. And there's several of them. And there may be good people on the sidelines, but if they're not there supporting you in those moments when you need it, it doesn't matter. Like, you can't be a quiet ally. You can be a performative ally, and that helps no one. It just makes you feel better, if that. And it shouldn't, right? So, uh, yeah, getting real into neuroscience. I applied to the program. I told everybody that I got in before I got in, which was an effort of manifestation and it absolutely worked and so I got in I started my studies there uh, this past summer and I'm currently still in these courses right now so I'm very interested in the neuroscience perspective and the educational perspective with learning and behavior and I am really interested in doing probably some some doctoral work and I do want to do a lot of research and I want it through a queer lens and informed by brain science and with my perspective in the classroom and yeah so I do as they say have many irons in the fire and you know what that's how I like it I'm interested in so many things but yeah I feel they're so specific so if you're still interested in any of these things please join me um on this podcast we're gonna have guests I'm really excited to bring 
some beautiful, beautiful people in my life to come sit on the couch and get very dated. We're going to just talk about stuff and things. Uh, can't you wait to talk about stuff and things? My God. Um, so let's take a little break. We'll be right back. And we're back for our final segment of Detalk with David Day. I'm your host, David Day. Now, I hope through this podcast, you feel like you understand me a little bit more. You know where I come from? Where did I go? Where did you come from, Cotton Eye Joe? You know, very that. So the last piece, we've talked about my creativity here. We've talked about cringe and how you need to lean into it and make those mistakes and fumble around in the communities that you're interested in being a part of. In order to be a part of them, you have to be able to be on the outside of something before you're invited to the inside of something. And it is uncomfortable to be on the outside of things, but you have to do that in order to get in pretty much anywhere you want in this world. So the last thing I've talked about, we've talked about um, being creative and all the creative parts of me in my life. Uh, we've talked about be oh, we've talked about being cringy, and I want to finish on being critical. Being critical about things to me is so important and necessary for the human experience. And what I mean by critical is by having the way that you listen to things go in a series of steps. So what I mean by that is that if somebody in your life says something to you, there needs to be a set of steps that you go through mentally, kind of on purpose in the beginning, but then it does become autopilot as you practice and get better. Because if you're not following a series of if you're not following a series of steps in order to integrate new information into your brain, you're going to misinterpret things and your memory is not going to be as good. And it's just, it's overall not as satisfying as in the life experience. So if somebody says something to you and I, I trust and believe I have a fantastic example leading this conversation. So I was out downtown Calgary a couple of weeks ago and uh, it wasn't a, it was not a warm day, but it, it was probably like five and overcast and a little blustery and little bits of rain. And there was a protest happening in a little park. And it was really close to where I was walking by, but I did cross the street because I was like, I want to hear what they're protesting about. I'm curious. I'm interested. And there wasn't many people there. There was one girl talking and then maybe about eight old, white, beardy men kind of standing around feigning enthusiasm, right? And uh, I could tell pretty quickly by the appearance of these people, that it wasn't a protest I was wanting to be a part of, um, which is something interesting because if you look at a queer protest and then you look at like an anti-queer protest, just looking at the groups visually, who would you want to spend your time with? The queer people. Every single time. They look happier, they're probably dressed brighter, and they're just having a more authentic real life experience than the people who are opposing it anyway. You can add one P into this podcast is that it's going to be political because if you show up in this world as anything different and outside the prescribed box of society, that is a political act. So get ready for the politics because I'm not a performative ally. I'm an ally who performs. That's funny, but you get it. So I'm downtown and I'm listening and this girl, I started to understand that it was... Um, an anti-trans specifically rally, but it was just some girl with a mic and then like 10 people listening as they were walking. Um, she was talking about how, and like, so 
She was talking about how when she was young, she was a tomboy, and if she had the choice that she would have been trans, even though that she felt comfortable in her assigned gender as female and felt feminine now as an adult, and and just how harmful that would be for children to be able to make the autonomous choice to present in this world the way that they want to, would somehow be harmful, which really blows my mind because why are you forcing children to not learn how to discover themselves like the learning process about who you are is as important if not more than the learning process happening in school right like reading and writing and math science and social all of that stuff is as important if not less than a child being able to figure out how they can authentically show up in the world, right? Just my opinion. That's why you're here. You get it. Um, because as queer people, there is a queer gap, right? If you're forced to not be yourself until the age of autonomy, which for some is 18, I guess could be younger or older, then you're just forced spending your time in your early 20s figuring out who you are. I was in there. I had autonomy and had no friggin' idea who I was. And a huge part of that is because I wasn't allowed the space to show up authentically when I was a school-aged child. There just wasn't room for that. So then I lost all of this time being performative. And then when I had the space to be myself, I didn't know who that was. And that that's a pretty brutal place to be in. And so many queer people face that problem on a regular basis rolling out of schools. It is different and better now from when I grew up. Thankfully, I have seen and from what I've heard but there are still a lot of really bad policies and, and things going on um, in terms of queerness in schools. So as this girl is presenting her anti-trans rhetoric, she then, what I at the time perceived as something from left field, then it sounded like she was talking about child abuse. And I wasn't really making the connection on how transness led to child abuse. So I'm listening, and she's talking about how over 800, or maybe it was 8,000, it felt like a big number, even if it was 800, she said over 800 young women and girls under the age of 18 have had their breasts cut off in Canada last year. And I heard that, and I went, what in the world? And I'm trying to come up with context, and I just was left at a loss, and, and the way that she was presenting it was from the from a child abuse perspective it's like who is abusing these young women and girls and getting away with it obviously so consistently to be able to have 800 in one year and then i left and i was shopping and i just could not get that out of my brain i was like there has to be more you can't just blankly say something like that and expect me to go along with it so that's one of the steps when you hear something and it immediately doesn't makes sense judge judy always says if something doesn't seem like it makes sense it's probably not true which could be used in a very dangerous way now that i think about it but if you hear something that sounds shocking you can't just immediately like work that into your brain and just take that as the truth because you read it somewhere or you heard it somewhere and that's really hard to do for all of us i do that all the time where i'm with my friends and i say something and they're like uh, i don't know about that and then you google it and then you're wrong anyway um, so being able to be critical from hearing something to actually incorporating something into your brain as what you know is true, right? It's a really important moment there. And that's where I was. So I Googled it and I 
just kind of typed in everything that I remembered, like 800 women and girls in Canada getting their breasts cut off under the age of 18. And there was a news article that came up and it was talking about trans men, trans boys. And I just, I just paused in line at H&M and thought, how, like I'm going to use the word impressive, even though it's impressive in the wrong way, how impressive it was that that girl, that woman was able to take something like having top surgery and turn it into something that sounded like child abuse through the words that she chose and the tone that she used. So the 800 women and girls under the age of 18 getting their breasts cut off were people who had breasts that wanted to have top surgery. That's it. Nobody was holding them down. Nobody kidnapped them and brought them somewhere and did this to them against their will. These were consenting people who wanted top surgery. Top surgery. It's just, that's not that serious. It's not that serious. There are steps. You can't just waltz in somewhere and get top surgery on a whim. You have, like, there are so many steps in there. There's psychologists involved. You have to present, like, Nobody's just walking in to get elective top surgery. Nobody's putting on that charade to do that for attention. I just, I've I've never really seen that. And even, even at some point, if the detransitioning argument too, that just, that some people, the people that argue that all of these trans people are detransitioning because they made the wrong choice and, and that I, I personally don't see a problem with that. I think if people unnecessarily judge themselves to be trans like I can use me as an example I was assigned male at birth and if I identified myself as female and and identified myself as trans and I made that transition and I lived in that transition for a year 10 years and then at the end of that 10 years I think you know what I actually don't identify as female anymore I want to present as masculine and male. Why is that a bad thing? I don't understand why the detransitioning is really villainized. Because why can't you make mistakes with things? Right? It's like me moving to Calgary. If I got here and a year later I'm like, you know what? I actually really miss and appreciated my life from before. I'm going to go build that again. I can do that. In the same way that your gender expression can and always does evolve over time so being able to present information like that that to me is very acceptable and fine if people like nothing makes me happier than thinking about queer children being supported by their families that is such a beautiful place to be in and if you're able to be in tune with yourself enough at a young age to be able to express your identity and know what you want. That is so beautiful. That closes so much of the queer gap. So then we can have more queer people in positions and in positions of power in the world. That's a huge reason why there's less queer people in positions of power in this world because of that gap. Queer people are left so far behind. If you graduate from high school, like your peers inherently are so much farther along. Of course, there are other things that hold people back that are that aren't a choice. So yeah, being critical about things before you work them into your narrative, you have to be able to listen to something, think about it, look at it objectively, research it a little bit if you have to, 
and then incorporate that into what you know and what you operate your life off of, right? One last thing I want to talk about here before I wrap up my first episode to get to know me. And this is a huge part of my life and a huge part of my success story and something that I want you to take away from this podcast is that nothing in this world is personal. Nothing. Nothing in this world is personal. Not anything that anybody's ever done to it. That's not been personal. And that might be upsetting to hear. And I get that. Oh, do I get that? Was I a mad girl when I heard somebody say that for the first time? Because I I was taking things personal. It's really hard not to take things personal. It's kind of the way that our society is built. But the way that other people act has everything to do with them and nothing to do with you. And you can have such a happier life experience when you can incorporate that into your thinking on a regular basis, right? A great example. I was walking somewhere last night, um, downtown Calgary. And there was a big old bus that went by. It was a party bus, but it was like a real school bus from like the 90s, painted black with like lights inside. Anyway, and you could hear the music and the bass pounding from like a block away. And it drives by, it drives by me. And this guy with his whole top of his body outside the bus window screams at me as he goes past, hey, fuck you. I laughed so hard. It was so funny. And like he went back into the bus and you could hear all of the people like screaming and cheering. Like that's hilarious, first of all. Um, But in that example, and maybe a version of myself from the past would have been really upset with that because that would have felt personal, right? That guy driving down the road took one look at me and decided that I need to be yelled at. When in fact, my most reasonable deduction from that scenario is that he just saw somebody walking and wanted to scream. It had nothing to do with me. I was just a stand-in for a human being that he wanted to yell at because he thought it was going to be funny. And you know what it was? (laughs) Because I have a good attitude and because I think like that. But it's really easy to take things personal and it just just weighs you down and it doesn't really do much for the other person, right? That's an example of somebody that I don't know, so it's easier to not take that as personally. But truly, the way that people act has everything to do with them right? So if you can focus on why they are doing that from their perspective, it can be really meaningful and it can change your life. And it's very, very difficult and requires, I'm sure, an entire lifetime's worth of practice. I have a few years into it and I feel amazing, but there are moments where I'm not happy with my own reaction to things and then you work on it. So pay attention, right? So my dear babies, thank you so much for listening to the first episode of Detalk with David Day. I'm your host, David Day, and I'm so happy that you are here because I wanted to talk about stuff and things. Did you like talking about stuff and things? Let me know in the comments. Um, Detalk is your safe space to embrace your creativity, get critical, and explore your cringe. And until next week, thanks for listening. Bye.